an in-depth story analysis. If you haven't seen this film, you might want to before listening to this review. Hello everyone, I'm Captain Logan, and it's time for a completely ill-advised exercise. Today, I'm going to do an unscripted and off-the-cuff episode of Superhero Rewind. Now, nobody panic. This is not how I intend to do the show forevermore, and this is, uh, for lack of a better way of putting it, not exactly an episode of Superhero Rewind. I'm going to start doing some off-the-cuff uh, discussions, reviews, uh, with as much analysis as I can put into them on superhero movies that have been out for a while, just like I do with Superhero Rewind. I'm still going to rate them, I'm still even going to go to Letterboxd and put them in the ranked list, but my plan is to eventually still do scripted versions uh, for these movies, and this is just a way for us to continue to uh, talk about these things and kind of keep the podcast going, uh, get something in the podcast feed, while I don't have time to sit down and script these. So the idea is, if anything, God forbid, ever happens to me, I've at least reviewed more of these things, even if I wasn't able to sit down and write reviews. Uh, because I haven't done a Superhero Rewind since March of this year. Uh, as of right now, it's it's uh, September and of uh, 2021. And uh, I really hate that. I was uh, getting them out weekly for a long time, and then my wife and I found out we were having twins. My life got very complicated after that, and now that the twins are here uh, and are newborns several weeks old, I, I just only have a few hours a week to put into anything channel-related at all. And so that makes it impossible to get anything like the number of superhero rewinds out I would like to. Uh, I might be able to stretch it and get away with one every four to six weeks, and even if I was doing that, I couldn't do anything else on the channel. I couldn't do live shows, requests, anything. And so uh, I'm, ha I'm having to compromise again. I hated losing the stills and the footage, of course, in making it a glorified podcast. Now I'm going to have to make a kind of a different show that's not really Superhero Rewind, that is a straight-up podcast, like the way normal people make podcasts, where nothing is written down, I didn't script the thing, I, I just watched a movie, and now we're going to talk about it. Uh, so this is going to be totally informal, totally loose, but hopefully a lot of fun. You will hear some things you've heard before, if you've ever listened to my spoiler casts or commentaries, uh, but right now I'm not doing spoiler casts, I'm just doing, again, mostly because of time constraints, uh, I'm just doing... Um, quick non-spoiler reviews on the Captain Logan show, so eventually when I get to those movies on Superhero Rewind, I, I will be saying a lot more things that you haven't heard before, and we'll cover some things here that I haven't talked about ever, and maybe the very next episode I'll do something that uh, I've never talked about. But today, uh, we're going to do the Lego Batman movie, and you might be saying, but Cap, the last time you, on, you know, actual Superhero Rewind, you did a Lego movie, why in the world does that have to be a Lego again? Were you just obsessed with building blocks? What is that about? Uh, my family and I simply felt like watching this movie today, and 
I was going to do uh, one of these unscripted things anyway, and I thought, why not start with the Lego Batman movie? I just watched it. It's fresh in my mind. There's not a superhero rewind on it. 2017, four years ago, and shockingly, the same number of years between The Dark Knight Rises and the actual scripted superhero rewind for that movie. Uh, that came out in 2012. I did the rewind in 2016, and I am I'm uh, revisiting the Lego Batman movie uh, right now, four years after that came out. I cannot believe it has been that long. I can't believe that kids have gone to and then graduated from high school since this movie originally came out. On first viewing, I absolutely adored this film. I really appreciated the references. Uh, I liked how close to the quality of storytelling it got to the Lego movie. I found that movie profound. Uh, it deeply moved me. I had a near spiritual experience with the Lego movie. I did not have that with the Lego Batman movie. It certainly is not quite up to that uh, quality, just in that it did. I didn't have that kind of spiritual experience with it. Uh, I would not have really expected to, but it is, I think, as funny as that movie. Um, I think there's a lot of stuff that's uh, just as clever as that. Uh, I don't think the story is as is as touching and as compelling, certainly. Uh, but I think that it gets as close to Pixar level as any other company really has in a 3D animated movie trying to tell a story, uh, trying to tell a real story with real character arcs um, about its, you know, goofy um, kind of farcical characters. Uh, I enjoyed the parody of it, certainly, uh, the satire about uh, the business of uh, Batman specifically and movie making in general, and the uh, parody, kind of in a 60s Batman way, um, of Batman himself. And this movie is uh, making fun of some of the same things that the 60s Batman does and doing some of that same kind of satire. So you have the culture of dependency that you do with Adam West Batman, where it's just a given that Batman is always going to save the day, and we never question whether he's uh, creating more problems that he's solving, whether what he's doing is really sustainable, and uh, whether or not it's a problem that despite his pre his presence, there are still all these villains running around, and he never seems to be able to actually solve any problems in the long term. Uh, this movie makes fun of that and uh, tackles that whole thing, I think, in a really fun and clever kind of way. There also are, of course, lots of references to the 60s Batman show specifically, some of which are the really obvious places to go. And we have that in general here, where there are certainly, it does have that Star Trek 09 thing to some degree, where it has kind of a quota of uh, just the real obvious cultural osmosis kinds of references where if you live in America or really the planet Earth at this point, uh, you probably will uh, get some of the more you know, basic references. Um, jokes about, uh, you know, the weirdness of Batman uh, running around with a teenage kid and uh, that kind of thing. With 60s Batman, you've got the shark repellent, which is the really obvious joke to go to, but I did appreciate that there wasn't any other movie stuff, because uh, very often when we go to 60s Batman, the only thing anybody remembers is the movie, and uh, luckily we have the TV show on DVD and Blu-ray now, 
It hasn't been streaming anywhere, unfortunately, but people can actually get and watch that show now, and hopefully that's kind of changing that a little bit where more people are familiar with the actual show. But for a long time, all you ever heard was shark repellent and some days you just can't get rid of a bomb. And this movie, even with all of the bomb stuff, uh, with, with all the jokes about bombs, doesn't have that specific reference, so I appreciate that. Uh, I don't think there's any real deep pulls, nothing I would call that from 60s Batman, but uh, some stuff that you would have to have actually seen a couple episodes of that show to appreciate, but even if you haven't, uh, it, it's stuff that kind of fades into the background and is just more, uh, and just watches like general Batman stuff to an uninitiated audience. So like, if you're not aware of Egghead, you wouldn't be like, um, you know, who's that guy any more than you might Condiment King. So I kind of appreciated that there were uh, a couple of quick cameos by characters that you never see adapted in anything outside of 60s Batman. Uh, Egghead never shows up in stuff. King Tut never shows up in stuff. There's a version of Chief O'Hara who is uh, gender-flipped for no good reason. Not a big deal to me. I just thought it was kind of a strange choice that that, that character is even there. Uh, there's a woman named Chief O'Hara. I guess they just give her that name. She doesn't have a thick Irish accent, and at no point does she say Begora, which I would have appreciated. Just one time, even not in that accent, give me a Begora. That would have been great. So I appreciate, you know, again, a lot of the references, and I, and I appreciate that it's in a movie with a real story, with a real character arc. Uh, the, the teamwork thing... The uh, it's it's all about family thing might be laid on a little bit too thick. Uh, there are places where I find myself going, okay, I get it. Like I know what the movie's about. I feel like it gets a little bit overwritten in places, and I also feel like for a kids movie, it's maybe a little bit long in the tooth. At least for not having more story meat than it does. It's an hour forty four, and it just feels like a story that is begging for a shorter runtime. I don't mean every kid's movie there's there's a specific runtime that it should never go over. Obviously, I take all these things on a case-by-case -case basis. This is not a, of course, super complicated story. It is very farcical, and I do feel like it, uh, it sags a little bit maybe in the middle and doesn't need to be quite as long as it is. I think 10 to 15 minutes could easily have been shaved off of this. I did not get that feeling with the Lego movie, although I did have it a little bit with the Lego Ninjago movie. So, uh, there, I almost said precedent. I think this came out before that, but it's not the only time that I that I felt that with one of these. I think some of the funniest stuff, ref reference-wise, is uh, the Nolan homages, uh, particularly right at the beginning. I really enjoy uh, all of the Hans Zimmer-type music in this and the uh, clear homages to uh, Nolan's directorial style and particular scenes almost taken right out of those movies, uh, especially Dark Knight Rises. It's making fun of that score quite a bit. Um, right at the beginning, you have uh, fun things like the like police car POV shot that is taken right out of the Dark Knight. You have the airplane stuff at the beginning, and just that general ominous feeling uh, that is totally undercut by the comedy um, of the piece and Lego minifigs acting like, uh, you know, oblivious, you know, idiots 
we're gonna be fine, Batman is going to save us, nobody is afraid of the Joker because Batman always saves the day. Uh, the movie has a really good sense of the rules of a comic book universe, where things just always have to work out a certain way because uh, you you need things to never change in a world where you've got to keep telling stories about the same character for 80 plus years and at least at this point 80 plus years and the movie is uh, hilariously tongue-in-cheek about that it is um you know constant well I say tongue-in-cheek um like I, I want to say that the characters in the world sort of play it play it straight in the sense that um, they're not all like pointing at uh, characters and costumes and saying, "Look how stupid and goofy this is." There's not any of that kind of stuff, but there's a lot of kind of fourth wall breaking things and uh, a sense of the real world history being also the fictitious history in the piece. So. Somehow, Batman really is seventy-eight years old, and he's talked about how well he's. It's talking about how well he's aged, and all of the you know the evolution of the character throughout the years. Meanwhile, everybody else seems to have normal person ages. So the whole world, like Barbara Gordon says, that when she was a kid, she looked up to Batman. How long ago was that? When was she a kid? It doesn't matter. We're not supposed to ask those kinds of questions, and I think it's consistent enough about that in its internal logic or lack thereof that we don't... I don't find myself wanting to ask those kinds of questions, um, which I appreciate, because sometimes I get kind of in the weeds with that kind of stuff, and I didn't... I didn't really have that here. It also helps that you have the conceit of a kid playing with action figures. And it's not like in the Lego movie where we actually see the kid playing with figures and we go right through the fourth wall into the real world where it's no longer animated. We don't do that whole thing, but it is... Uh, and I guess the prerequisite for this movie... Um, I, I guess there sort of is a prerequisite in the Lego movie just in that... Uh, we, you have confirmation if you've seen that movie that you absolutely are looking at a kid playing with figures. That there is a curtain that was pulled back in that f first movie that is not pulled back here. But if you're initiated, you wouldn't find yourself asking that question like I was in the Lego movie. Where you're like, okay, you have uh, characters making their own sound effects like a kid playing with figures. And that would make you think maybe it's a kid playing with figures, or maybe it's just a silly choice the movie is making. You know, maybe it's just a style thing. And because I've seen the Lego movie, I don't find myself wondering if it's a style thing. I do find myself wondering who the kid is. I don't think that it can be the same kid from the first movie, because this kid seems to know a lot about Batman. He knows all of the dates that the movies came out. He knows all of these really obscure characters. And if it's the same kid from the first movie, the only way I can reconcile that is that he's done his homework since then. Because I... And, and I do find it a little bit hard to reconcile uh, th this being this, that same character. But again, at the end of the day, it's, it's really not important that it is. This piece stands on its own just fine. I like that there aren't really any references to the Lego movie. It's not concerned with a continuity. It's just, this is the characterization that was originally established. Will Arnett was the voice of that character. 
and we're going to be consistent in how he's characterized and what the comedy of it is that he is a complete narcissistic Batman. Uh, he operates as if the whole world revolves around him. In this particular case, it it, it, it absolutely seems to, um, and that's part of the joke, of course. The, you know, I'm Batman problem and the idea that the character's uh, popularity encroaches into the fiction itself. I enjoy the kind of deconstruction that we do of that in this. Um, but anyway, that's but that's what it has in common with that first movie, is that it clearly is still a kid playing with figures, even if it's not with toys, even if it's not the same one, and it's the same kind of characterization with the same kind of comedy. No other characters from the Lego movie show up in this. So it's a real traditional spin-off in that it's sort of sort of a Gomer Pyle kind of thing, in the sense that you took that character and that initial idea and you just kind of ran off with it and it could be an original premise in the first place. It doesn't matter that anything, you know, predates this. But I, but if it were just thinking about the continuity of the Lego movie and the fact that that had a sequel and that Batman is in both of those, um, just for a moment, because it doesn't hurt this movie whatsoever, but I do find myself just, you know, asking the question um, outside of it. Not so much while I'm watching the movie. If it's not the same kid... Uh, how does this characterization happen exactly? Because it seemed to come from a place of, I know Batman's popular um, just from the culture, again, cultural osmosis, but I don't actually know much about him. Uh, there are a lot of clues in the Lego movie that that kid is not really a Batman fan, that he just maybe you know, has a lot of Legos, uh, or rather, his, we, again, when we pull the curtain back, we find out that his father has all the Legos, and it's like, okay, he's got Batman stuff. I don't know anything about Batman, so I'm just, or very much, so I'm just making things up as they go along. So, like, as I go along, I know Batman has this darkness motif, uh, I, bats are subterranean, uh, it's, it's real, there's that lyric in that, in, in the Lego in the original Lego movie about Batman living in a basement. He doesn't have a basement. He has a cave. You know, what are you talking about? Uh, and it's hilarious. Like, I love the ignorance of Batman culture there. And it seems like what the kid knows is that uh, anybody that maybe draws this conclusion, like anybody that would brand everything and make himself the center of everything like that, would have to have an ego, uh, would have to think that he was the center of everything. And this movie takes that whole thing, but with, uh, you know, actual information about Batman and superimposes it on it. And... So it's a really clever way to go, but I'm not sure that if a kid actually knew anything about Batman, this would be the version that he would create. What I really appreciate here is that we take that Batman that is completely selfish and thinks that it's his world and everyone else is just living in it, and we give him a real psychology and a real motivation for acting that way. And I like that we get to live with him for a while and enjoy his nonsense before we get to that. And he's not humanized at the beginning. He's not particularly likable at the start. It's an intentionally unsympathetic protagonist, until you realize that the reason he treats people poorly and doesn't really care about anybody but himself is because he's lonely, because he's overcompensating. 
and it's because of the death of his parents. And so you start to see a real take on Batman in it, even though it is an intentionally really farcical take. And it is making fun of everything. Uh, every version of Batman you've ever had all rolled into one, but taking the farthest extremes of all of them. So you have the uh, duly deputized Agent of the Law version uh, with 60s Batman, again, where uh, the the city relies on him entirely, and uh, it's the culture of dependency, and he works uh, with the police, but it's almost more like uh, he works uh, in, in spite of the police, and you've got a Gordon who, just like Commissioner Gordon, just immediately, you know, almost like he's relying too much on technology. Like, he, like he uses his GPS to get everywhere and doesn't even know how to read a map or something, where he just presses a button uh, to make the bat signal happen anytime crime happens, and then I, I, I like this, and then he gets a metal pinned on him uh, because... Batman solves all his problems for them. It's like, you're a great uh, commissioner, except is he, though? Because as uh, his daughter, who becomes the, the police commissioner herself, uh, Barbara Gordon says later, without throwing her father under the bus, may I add, I, you know, there's still all this crime, and Batman hasn't put anybody away for good. And so maybe... We need uh, more than just Batman out there trying to clean up the streets. Maybe we shouldn't just rely on him. But So you have that extreme version, but he's married to also an almost extreme Miller version. The, like, all-star Batman and Robin Batman. And that was the thing in the theater that most shocked me. That we did a, like, kid-friendly version of that. It's kind of like the last Lego thing that I talked about with uh, the second Lego Justice League movie. Where we are uh, playing around with and making fun of the uh, really dark and broody, cynical... Um, version of superheroes, of superhero comics, where everybody has to question the superheroes now, uh, and we have to constantly deconstruct them and ask if it makes sense for them to even be operating, and we can't just start with the premise of superheroes exist even though they can't in the real world, and they're going to be altruistic, and most people are going to trust them, go. Like, we can't do that anymore. And so... Uh, whether you really believe that or not, we tend not to do that anymore. And so uh, that movie was making fun of that and was really telling a story about that and yet somehow continued to be completely kid-friendly. This does the same thing with the all-star Batman and Robin thing with Miller, where it has a Batman who doesn't straight-up kidnap a Robin. Robin kind of comes to him, and he actually... It's the, it's the opposite of that, where he actually, he actually accidentally... Uh, brings in Dick Grayson. He he accidentally um, adopts him, which I think is hilarious. And he's like, oh great, I've got this kid now. How can I exploit him? Uh, which is what he does uh, to everyone. Again, as a defense mechanism. He's afraid of people getting too close because of how hard it hurt when he lost his parents and he doesn't want to feel that again. So he says, 
uh, I have to be completely alone, and yet he is uh, he is totally lonely and um, and deep down you know, really sad about not actually having anyone, and so he tries to replace that with broad adoration from the whole city for everything that he accomplishes for the city. And he basically tries to make himself his own best friend, which doesn't work on any level. So, like, emotionally, he doesn't have any support, but also as a crime fighter, he doesn't have any support. And when, finally... There's a mission that he cannot do on his own. <clears throat> he doesn't know how to rely on people. So anyway, he is exploiting people, as he always does, and people uh, either don't realize it or put up with it because... Well, actually, they're all oblivious. They don't realize it. Uh, but they uh, they allow him to do that uh, for whatever reason because uh, he is, they think, getting the job done until Barbara Gordon talks five seconds of sense into them uh, in that hilarious scene uh, that, that starts with uh, her introduction, by the way, on video, where uh, she, like, cleaned up Bloodhaven with statistics and compassion. It seems hysterical and always stuck with me, and I love that part. But I, I I also love the moment where all the uh, where all the citizens in the crowd start going, hey, wait a minute, she's starting to make a lot of sense. I really appreciate all the traditional Lego humor in this. We always have those one-dimensional uh, kind of idiot, you know, um, like NPC-esque, uh, you know, Lego blocks. The characters that would just be in the background in a video game that have no personality whatsoever. Uh, and the townspeople types. It's it's hilarious, and I love everything with that stuff. Uh, so you have a, so back to the Miller thing. You have a Batman who doesn't kidnap a Robin like he does an All Star, but he does uh, totally exploit him, and he convinces him to break the law with him, and uh, they just straight up you know, even beyond standard vigilanteism, take the law into their own hands, going going all the way to uh, breaking the Joker out of prison so they can send him to the Phantom Zone. And uh, in the theater, I was really surprised that it went as far as it did in making Batman not just uh, bordering on unsympathetic. And again, at the beginning, he is. And I feel like he's more sympathetic once you understand what's happening and you can see how he got to the place that he got to. Uh, as I always say, a sympathetic character is not necessarily a likable character. Um, all you have to do to be sympathetic is uh, the audience has to understand how you became what you are. We have to believe that that person uh, started from more or less a normal place and uh, became what they turned into. And certainly within the context of this farce, we do have that with this Batman. And so he uh, he takes Robin into uh, Arkham, and I think it's Arkham, and uh, sends Joker to the Phantom Zone, and then at the moment that he gets thrown in prison himself, put in a cell by Barbara Gordon. In the theater, I remember thinking, 
oh wow, they've made Batman a bad guy in his own movie. Uh, this is like a supervillain origin story. And uh, then it becomes about that. And when he goes to the Phantom Zone, um, like I was surprised that that it goes this way because I kind of called it. And it's like he goes to the Phantom Zone and the floating uh, brick lady that calls him Mr. Batman, uh, which is another joke that I have been repeating ever since I, I saw this movie. I think that's, that's hilarious, Mr. Batman. Um, the brick lady says uh, that he's that he's a villain. It's like uh, she she says, you know, welcome to the Phantom Zone, bad guy, um, or or I'm paraphrasing whatever it is she says. And uh, he has to take a good hard look at himself and realize that he's not really any better than uh, his villains because uh, he does everything for totally selfish ends and um, his heart's not really in the right place. And in, um, you know, more serious Batman things, particularly like 90s Batman comics, there's always that component. And this is kind of my Batman. Some people, um, especially older than me, I don't I like this version of Batman and not as, as much as I do because they don't like the idea that um, we should be questioning, you know, so much Batman's sanity. We're this idea that oh, if you put on a bat suit and went out and fought crime, you must be a crazy person. But I've always been interested in the the, the psychology of Batman and the idea that he, where it's ambiguous. Uh, not that he's in, in necessarily in total denial, but just that it's a gray area, and we all have to decide for ourselves whether Batman's causing more problems than he's solving. Um, whether what he's doing is really for the greater good or just because he's still lashing out at the world because his parents died. I've always really liked the ambiguity of that. And this, of course, um, makes that a joke and takes it to its furthest comedic extent, uh, but it, once again, is playing with that idea. And I like that it's also all about uh, Batman's traditional refusal to change. And it's a story where he has to change, but he fights it tooth and nail all the way until the end of the movie. And so it's it's all about these traditional tropes of Batman kind of turning them on, the, on their heads. Uh, in some cases by the end of the day just doing those tropes, and in other cases, like this one, um, actually, you know, going against the trope, contradicting it. Uh, when you open a Batman movie with the uh, Michael Jackson song, Man in the Mirror, uh, you're actually doing something kind of subversive, because Batman stories aren't about a guy who is going to change. And the, and the opening of this is, uh, which I laughed out loud in the theater, uh, and, and my son Jason, who is uh, hu a huge Michael Jackson, Jackson fan, an obsessive Michael Jackson fan, uh, did not remember that. It's been a few years since he saw this, and when I watched it with him tonight, he once again just, just lost it, just cracked his head off. Um, take a look at yourself and uh, and and make a change. Um, Batman himself is saying that at the beginning, and then and then uh, you know giving himself the credit, of course, for the quote, which is now that I'm thinking about it, wonderfully ironic because at the beginning of the movie he does not appreciate that lyric, and he's not going to take it to heart and put it into practice, but he will take credit for it because he takes credit for everything because he's Batman. And when you get to the end of the movie, um, he really does do all that. He really does take a look at himself. He makes a change. Uh, it, it is a little typical, of course. Um, it's a real 
uh, straightforward and kind of cliche at this point metaphor. Um, it's hard to uh, take a deep look at yourself. Sometimes you have to uh, stare at your own reflection to see what it is that you don't like so that you can improve yourself. And uh, we as human beings tend to not like to do that. And it is a lot easier to uh, just stay, you know, behind your own eyes and inside yourself and never look at yourself the way other people do. And we have a uh, we, we literalize that metaphor when we get to the scene with a Joker in the Funhouse, and we do that traditional Joker scene where uh, Batman is looking for Joker in uh, Funhouse mirrors, and he has to take a look at himself. Uh, I do appreciate that that's not the moment where the true opportunity for change happens, because that would make it even more on the nose, but uh, it is... A, a clearly thematically um, relevant, and uh, that's the reason that that's there. Um, he has multiple opportunities, I would argue, for change throughout the film. I in numerous places, I characters, specifically the people that we will call his family by the end, are telling him that he needs to start relying on other people and that uh, he can't go it alone, and that it's worth the risk um, of losing people. Until he goes to the Phantom Zone and is shown the uh, error of his ways. When he has to, again, take a look at himself, uh, literally, and see a clip show of uh, all of his mistakes, and he realizes that he is not the person that he wants to be, and that he really does care about his friends, and importantly, that the reason he treated them so poorly, um, particularly when he puts them all in a vehicle uh, and sends them away, is actually because he cares about them. Uh, so he is totally selfish, and he does act as if uh, he is the only person on the planet and everybody else is just pawns in his chess game. But the actual motivation for that, um, it's selfish and it's not selfish all at the same time. Uh, like, the reason that he pushes people away is because he can't deal with the pain of losing people. And so, of course, that is selfish. But at the same time, he doesn't want anything to happen to them. And that itself is not selfish. And so he has both of those contradictory motivations. And uh, that's the moment where he finally... Um, you know, I, I think deep down decides to do something about it, although he still really resists it. When he comes back from the Phantom Zone to Earth, and uh, he is, and he's talking with Barbara Gordon, um, there is, it feels like at first a real good chance that once again he's going to make the same mistake, and uh, then he finally lets her in a little bit, and uh, now they're all able to work together after that. But again, before that, there are uh, lots of points where he has a chance to uh, really embrace the Bat family, and he doesn't take it until in, until that place. And so what starts off as a story about a guy that doesn't actually really seem anything like Batman. You know, he's not... I've talked about this before. He's not the uh, traditional Lego Batman Batman, because there's two different versions of Lego Batman. And in Lego Dimensions, we actually get to see them uh, both kind of fight each other 
Um, they're they're on screen together, and it's hilarious. But uh, that is a you know still humorous version of Batman who thinks that he's comic book Batman, and this is a uh, much more you know heightened and over the top kind of character that again at first doesn't seem anything like Batman, except that he talks in a real growly voice, and he has the paraphernalia and the costume and the money, the riches. And then by the end, we realize that it is a another legitimate version of Batman, uh, just in this really, you know, farcical, you know, ridiculous kind of universe, uh, because it all uh, stems from, again, the death of his parents and how he feels about that, and it's uh, this version's way of uh, coping and, um, and 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 his you know self-destructive tendencies. And there's always, or there's very often, I should say, uh, kind of that uh, aspect to Batman where he's kind of accidentally self-destructive, where he's driven to um, a really negative degree and won't let anybody in, won't let anybody help him, and very often it seems like it's because he's punishing himself for his parents' death. And I think that that's implied here, although we don't talk at all about the death of his parents, there is kind of a prerequisite here, I think, to fully appreciate what's happening in the story. Um or at least uh, to care. If you've, you know, looked at Batman's stories before and you know about the death of Batman's parents and that he usually tends to blame himself, there's maybe another layer here that there wouldn't be if you weren't aware of all of that. Not a lot of people are going to come into this not knowing something about Batman, and so it's maybe okay that that's not made totally explicit, and I suspect that that's just because it's a kid's movie and it doesn't want to uh, do the trun shot of Bruce Wayne's parents and do that death scene. Shocking because everything does that and despite all of the flashbacks to movies and things that we get in this movie, that never happens. Uh, quick aside, by the way, speaking of flashbacks to movies, um, one of the uh, kind of minor gripes I have with this movie is um, some of the kind of inconsistent choices they make with things like that. For instance, uh, there is a scene where Alfred uh, goes back through all the years and says, uh, here's all these um, like weird episodes that you had uh, going going all the way back, and when he gets to 1966, uh, it doesn't do a Lego version of 60s Batman. It actually shows Adam West doing the Batusi. I don't know why that is. Every other one of those has uh, a shot of Legos, including BVS and Batman Forever, etc., etc., and then we get to 66, and it's showing live-action footage. Um, it's just weirdly inconsistent, and I don't know why it does that. It's not really, a, again, a big deal for internal logic, because uh, there's precedent set with uh, with Batman watching Jerry Maguire, so like, I don't mind there being live-action stuff in the movie, necessarily, because, again, it's a kid playing with action figures. And so, 
we're we're playing real fast and loose with what is real and what is in the real world and what isn't. Um, I, I like to imagine scenes like that being uh, that's what's on the TV in the far background for the kid. Like, he's playing with action figures, and one of his parents is watching that movie, and so he integrates that into the story that he's making. Um, so I, I, I like thinking about stuff like that. Um, it's not necessarily what's really happening, but it's it's kind of, kind of fun to imagine that. Um, it easily could be that. And given that, again... Uh, you have the conceit in the, the original Lego movie that it's a kid playing with figures, and you have the the same you know kind of sound effects with uh, actors you know, using their mouths to make the pew pew noises and stuff like that. Um, this this has to be a kid, even if it's not the same one playing with action figures. And so um, I don't think it's a leap to suggest that that kind of thing is what's going on. So I don't mind that, but just with with all those cuts where you're seeing all the the figures why is the um why is 1966 not you know in live action it's a weird choice so i think it is a pretty good batman story uh it's a fun take on batman and the joker because it is that traditional yin yang thing with a you know fun farcical twist where you have a Joker who uh, thinks that Batman completes him. In his mind, the only things that really exist are the two of them. So we kind of have that whole thing, uh, but we also make it about the Joker's loneliness, just like with Batman. And that's the big thing that they have in common in this, is uh, Joker lives for Batman because he is sad and alone just like Batman is and if they don't have their antagonistic relationship Joker has no reason for being and so when he says I hate you he actually means I love you and they I really like the I don't want to use the word subtle but I, I like the I guess tasteful way that the movie handles that as a romantic metaphor um, there are, and it gets a lot of comedy mileage out of it, uh, toward the beginning, and I guess it's kind of bookended with this, uh, you have the Joker saying, like, I don't mind if you go, uh, fight other people, but at the end of the day, um, you and I are what really matters, uh, it's just like if he was, uh, you know, a girlfriend saying you can see other people, uh, if you want to, but, you know, I'm the real love of your life, that kind of thing. Uh, and then at the end of the movie, it's a real big deal to Joker when Batman finally says, I hate you, because uh, it's it's like a lover finally admitting um, that he or she loves the, uh, the person that they're dating. Um, so all of that is really fun, and I like that it's not just subversion for the sake of subversion. Like, it starts to get more it, it it starts to become more and more of a real batman story dealing with real batman tropes and ideas by the end uh even if you can't tell that at the beginning with where it's going so i bought this hook line and sinker first time around at the beginning of the movie i thought that the idea was really was uh this batman just does not give a crap about this joker and that is the joke of it that he has wasted his uh criminal life on Batman, and th this Batman wants nothing to do with him. And it, once again, it's part of that coping mechanism. When Batman at the end says, uh, 
you're the reason I get up in the morning, he means it. He means that Joker actually, as his main antagonist, is his best friend um, as, a, as a rival. Uh, so that relationship to Batman is the same as that relationship to Joker. And there is... And it's more... It's more complicated and kind of twisted in uh, serious Batman comics, of course. Again, especially in like the the mid '80s and early '90s and beyond. Um, the idea that uh, Batman doesn't know really uh, what to do without the Joker, and you have the question of is the reason he doesn't kill the Joker because he uh, is afraid of what it would turn him into, that he would be too much like the Joker and that he wouldn't be able to stop. Uh, that idea that he's so on the cusp of becoming the villains that he fights. Uh, and again, the story is weirdly about that a little bit, that Batman looks like a villain um, and easily could be one. And in this particular version, he kind of is for a while. Um, but is the real reason that, again, in serious Batman comics that Batman doesn't kill the Joker because of, he's afraid of what it will, will turn him into, or because deep down he can't see himself without the Joker, that he needs that contrast, that the Joker in a you know, weird, twisted way, um, perverse way, does complete him, and that in, in a way he actually kind of um, cares about him and, and can't live without him. And uh, you have that in this, where uh, by the end of the movie we we discover that uh, Batman's just been pushing the Joker away like he's been pushing everybody else away. And so it's obviously a movie about family, it's a movie about loneliness, uh, it's a movie about how people need people, and it is... Again, I think some of those ideas are uh, laid on too thick, and uh, it's an obvious message, the teamwork thing and the family thing, uh, but it becomes a little bit fresher in uh, getting at it from that Batman place. If it wasn't because of the death of Batman's parents, it would be a lot more generic. I also like that every character that Batman comes to care about or already cares about um, also needs him in some way. They also have that kind of fear of loneliness that he has, but they've all uh, already discovered or already understood for, for various reasons um, that they need people and that they can't go through life without them. And so you have uh, Barbara Gordon, who um, is probably you know the most well-adjusted person in the movie and probably the one with enough friend with, with his, a lot of friends already. Um, but she's afraid of losing Batman as an idea. Uh, she needs him to live up to his potential and to uh, rely on people because if he doesn't, he's not the person that uh, she that inspired her and who. Who is she if Batman is not Batman? I think is kind of the idea there. And then you have Alfred, who is the surrogate father, who, if Batman doesn't accept him as a father, uh, doesn't really have a place in the world and uh, is is lost. Um, it's, again, weird that a Lego movie made me feel this way, but it's actually a little bit soul-crushing. Um, that's too strong of a way to put it. But, uh, it, it, I, you know, I can't help but flinch a little bit, that scene where... Batman says, you don't have any family. 
you don't know what it's like to be a surrogate father. Um, that's really rough. Like, Alfred has uh, given his entire life for, for Bruce Wayne for Batman. And then, of course, you have Robin, who is the opposite of Batman, uh, in that they both start from the same place, but uh, Batman copes with the death of his parents by pushing everybody away, and Robin is desperate for companionship, and finally finds that in the uh, worst possible candidate uh, with a Batman who uh, pushes people away and is the last person on Earth who should probably be a father. And then, of course, uh, at the end, he finally embraces Robin um, and ends up being a, I guess, better father figure. Um, it is nice that he doesn't just suddenly turn into a completely different character at the end. Like, he is still pretty into himself, of course. He still has that narcissistic thing. And that whole thing is a real classic Batman story. When we do let Batman actually change and grow as a character, it tends to be about letting people in and accepting what he can't change about himself. And one of the frustrating things sometimes as a Batman reader is uh, the Batman that has to constantly learn that lesson. We do have a tendency to regress him so that he can once again uh, discover that he needs people and uh, that he's not a god. And you could make the argument, and sometimes I think this works, it just it just depends on who's writing it. It depends on the on, on whose pen it is. Um, and I say in comics, I think, uh, you know, animated series sometimes has this to some degree. Um, there's a lot of iterations of Batman where we'll, uh, where, where Batman has to learn that lesson, and then later on he has to learn it again. And you could make the argument, well, uh, he's so driven, uh, he's so determined, and what he does um, as a vigilante is uh, so nigh impossible that it would be easy to keep losing yourself over and over again. And then the question, of course, is just, is that interesting? And can you make the audience buy that it's not character regression so much as the character only ever changes a little bit? Like, he, he you know, in a particular instance, um, and is kind of maybe addicted to loneliness or addicted to... Um, self-reliance uh, because ultimately that's what I think this movie is about um, a Batman who is uh, just too self-reliant you just have that character arc with one particular movie here and so I think it works fine but like I said that's a real traditional uh, classic Batman story where uh, you have the you have the Bat family, and Batman doesn't let anybody in, and he doesn't trust people. Uh, and this one is a little bit less about trust, I think. But I do find myself wondering where you would go with a Batman that you've decided has fully embraced um, his family. And if you would have, uh, you know, if you made a sequel to this, would it be just about Batman after that? Or would it be uh, more of an ensemble piece with character arcs for other characters? Or where Batman was uh, more traditionally the character who does not change, refuses to change, but maybe helps someone else learn something? Or um, somehow, even in a goofier context, uh, is the Batman, and these tend to be my favorite Batman stories, um, who is uh, constantly tempted to change in a negative way and uh, manages to overcome that uh, by refusing to change because he should not change. 
But I would think that it would be a lot easier to do a story that's just about uh, other characters that are working with Batman. And this, of course, very nearly got a sequel and never will at this point because uh, the rights have changed over to a different company. So it was announced in, I think, 2018 that the Lego Batman movie was supposed to get a sequel, and then very soon after that, it was axed because uh, Lego and Universal decided to get together to do more of these kinds of projects. So I don't know the ins and outs of this, but I would assume that that would mean that the Lego movie characters that were original um, to that franchise could continue on and there could be a third Lego movie. Uh, I haven't looked deeply into this, so I don't know, uh, but obviously any characters owned by Warner Brothers won't be in that now, and so it'll just be universal things. And obviously that's a much smaller potential cast of characters. Um, so, I'm of two minds about it. I'm kind of bummed that we're not going to see more of this because I think Will Arnett is hilarious and uh, I laughed a lot watching this movie and uh, I in enjoyed all the satire and um, the kind of love letter to Batman history. I should say, I don't think it's quite as clever and the story is quite as good uh, as the one in, and and as even a love letter to Batman as uh, the first animated 60s Batman movie, Return of the Cape Crusaders, uh, but it's close to that level, I think. Um, it definitely has a lot, it runs, I think, more of a gamut of Batman history, but I think that movie is a little bit more clever and even, dare I say, more sophisticated in how it handles some of that, and uh, if you haven't seen my review on that, I have done a rewind on that film. But while I would have been interested to see where you would go with a sequel, and I'm sure it would have been a lot of fun, this does stand alone great as a piece, and I don't feel like there's a lot left to do with it. I think it gets a lot done. Um, with with that character arc, and it also gets a lot of mileage out of Batman history and Easter eggs and references and things. I should also talk a little bit about the crossover nature of this, because it doesn't appeal to me a lot. I don't think it was necessary, and it's the most kind of commercially blatant thing in the movie to me. I feel like there is maybe a little bit of an overcompensation in trying to be accessible to a larger audience that maybe doesn't care as much about Batman stuff. And you might be thinking, well, Batman movies have, especially the Nolan films, made a lot of money. They're kind of already accessible. Most people go and see them. But this being a parody thing and making fun of that stuff as opposed to to being a serious Batman movie, I could kind of see Warner's going, this feels more niche than just the Lego movie did, because that was original characters, but also a crossover thing with some characters that you've seen and heard of before, and so it might appeal to a broader audience. Like, there is a clear built-in kid audience for that, maybe, I say clear. I think that movie did way bigger than they ever expected it to, and I don't know that they expected to be able to make the kind of franchise out of it that they did, uh, but there is the potential for a real wide 
net that you cast for a kid demographic there. And in a weird way, this movie maybe appeals to as many adults as it does kids, and that might mean that there are a lot of kids that uh, would be really into the Lego movie that wouldn't care as much about this. And so I, I think that some of those other characters in the Phantom Zone, some of those other villains, were thrown in to try to cast a wider net, maybe. And it might also have been the movie's attempt to try to be more like the Lego movie, more related to that, where it wasn't going to be a follow-up story to that. It's not really a direct sequel to that movie, but it was going to have that crossover component so that uh, it hit all the beats of the stuff people liked about the Lego movie. Uh, there are a couple of scenes that are too derivative of the Lego movie that felt to me like they were trying to make sure that the humor was on point for people that really liked the Lego movie. So it's like, let's make sure that it's kind of enough of the same experience. Uh, the big one that comes to mind is the um, slow motion bit where Batman sees Barbara Gordon for the first time and she's like whipping her hair and it's exactly the same in, in, in it's uh, in it's that song um, uh, you know lost in your tonight I uh, they the, arms lost in your arms tonight um which I think was actually a funnier selection than the song in the Lego movie, but it's exactly the same scene as when Emmett first sees Wildstyle, and it does it twice, just like that movie did. So, uh, it, there, there's maybe a little bit of that like intentional derivative nature there. Uh, I think there's some really funny lines with some of those crossover characters, particularly Voldemort. I also think it's really funny that, Ezzie, that Eddie Izzard voiced Voldemort. I didn't realize that until I looked at the credits. Um, but that whole thing was kind of unnecessary. It's... I guess you could also make the argument, though, that this is what a kid would do, right? Like, a kid playing with toys is just going to take everything he's seen and heard of and throw it all in a blender. Like, when I was a kid, before everything crossed over with everything and there was just no novelty left in the world... I was doing this with my action figures, and I'm sure everybody else was too. I talked about this in the the rewind I did for Batman vs. Ninja Turtles, where the main uh, figures that I had as a kid were Ninja Turtles and Batman, and so I crossed them over all the time and never expected to see a movie that did that. And maybe that's the idea here, and so that's probably the best argument for it. But I think it probably starts from that corporate mindset, and that feels real present to me, so it doesn't fully win me over on that idea, but uh, but some of it is really really funny. The, 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 the Sauron stuff um, is, is pretty great, too. He's like, oh, uh, you, you don't want blood, but how do you feel about lava? So it at least doesn't squander um, the opportunity, and that's nice. Uh, another just kind of random, off-the-beaten-path gripe uh, and I've probably talked about this before. I think it's really weird that Batman is afraid of clowns, and it keeps coming up, so it's really distracting. At the beginning, uh, he's like, hey, Joker, I don't care about you. You you don't complete me. Uh, leave me alone. And then later, he's like, I'm scared of clowns. And when you get to the end of the movie, and we find out that Batman and he really does... Uh, in a weird way, care about the Joker, and he really is his big villain. Um, perhaps 
the idea is supposed to be that that's part of that fear. Like, he's just telling the Joker that he doesn't, um, that he, that he doesn't care about him as a villain, but in actuality, he really is afraid of the Joker, but I don't see it. I don't really think that's what's going on. I don't, I don't think those things are related in any way whatsoever. I think those scenes simply forget that the Joker is a clown. Like, Batman's fear, and I like this, by the way, because, of course, Batman's stories very often are all about fear, and Batman Begins is a treatise on the nature of fear and what it does to us and how we can use it to our advantage. Batman's greatest fear in this, even though he thinks he's not scared of anything, is loneliness, is not having anybody. And uh, it's it's this kind of nice contradiction where he doesn't keep anybody around him because uh, he's afraid of what it'll feel like if he doesn't have them, but his bigger fear is being alone. And I don't think that has anything to do with a fear of clowns. Uh, like, I don't think he's scared of the Joker because he's scared of losing the Joker. I don't see any thematic correlation there, really. And so it seems to me like it's the Lobster Thermidor thing where we're just being random. And I love the random humor in this. Uh, it's, it's some of my favorite stuff in the movie. But going to clowns, snake clowns, I think you're forgetting that the Joker is a clown. And that just distracted me all the way through. And before we get to my rating, let's find out what some of the members of the Secret Superhero Screen Society had to say about this movie. Here are some tweet-length reviews from a few of our patrons. We start with Connor Nielsen. Though not as good as the 2014 instant classic, the Lego Batman movie maintains much of its predecessor's humor, pace, wit, charm, heart, and made with the same infectious joy for the material. So many laughs, so many wonderful little moments. Will Arnett is perfect, three out of four. Ben Thompson, while I enjoy the movie overall and find Batman's character arc unique for a Batman movie, it isn't quite hitting the same mark for me as the Lego movie did, although it does have that movie's heart and a lot of it is very funny. It does suck though that this was the last good Lego movie for the time being. 3 out of 4. Carl Maxey, I really enjoyed this movie, and I think it's one of the best sequels to an already great film. I like their hilarious take on Batman's relationship between friends and enemies. The film was like a love letter to every Batman project that came before, 4 out of 4. Christian Ogden, with great animation, likable characters, and very good humor, this movie is a love letter to everything Batman has been over the years, both the good and the bad. It has one of the best character arcs for a superhero in a long time, and I wish we could have gotten a sequel. Four out of four. Saqib Tariq, I felt like... It felt like a love letter to the history of Batman on film. It's not as great as the Lego movie, but it has a ton of heart and laughs with a great soundtrack, too. Three out of four. So a lot of consensus here. And then uh, these comments all came from Facebook. Uh, from the same tier on Patreon, uh, we'll go over to Patreon itself. I uh, got a couple there. Chewbacca's Lover, I liked it, but I wish it pulled less from other properties. Also hate that their Bane is a Tom Hardy impression. And finally, Thomas Edgehill, not to be confused with uh, Lego Batman the movie, the Lego Batman movie is a fun adventure about working as a team with cameos from all your favorite WV, WB villains, 2.5 out of 4. I think the moment the Lego Batman movie for me is a 3 out of 4, 
Uh, it's, like I said, a little bit long in the tooth, and I'm beat over the head a little bit too much with the message. And it makes a lot of old, new again with Batman lore and tropes. Uh, it's not predictable and how it uses those things. I love how much it becomes a real Batman story by the end when it didn't seem at all like that's what it was uh, at the start. And uh, the way it uses, in a satirical way, uh, more kind of edgy and cynical ideas in an ultimately lighthearted and wholesome piece is uh, really impressive to me. So, uh, end of the day, three out of four for me. Now let's go ahead and rank this movie, shall we? And again, this could change later on, but I'm looking at my letterboxed list, and I'm going to go ahead and put it somewhere for now. And I'm looking around the 50s, so it has to go in with the rest of the threes, of course. The rule is uh, it's got to go in with whatever the, the um, rating number was uh, for this movie. So, the, uh, so Big Hero 6 was a 3, Daredevil was a 3, um, Batman vs. Dracula was a 3. I feel like... Wow, it's going to be really hard to rank this, because I'm looking at some of these movies, and I, I think I like this movie, and I think it's a, it's a better, smarter movie than some of these, higher than some others that it's hard to put above, so it's really tough to decide where to put it. Like, I kind of don't want to put it over Superman 2, but it makes me want to move Daredevil, because I feel like it maybe should go above that movie. Um, although I guess... I'm looking at... I always forget this. I guess, I guess I'm ranking the Daredevil director's cut before the theatrical version, so maybe that is the right place to put that. So, the real question is, because I don't think I can put it over Superman 2, um, and it's not better than Incredible Hulk. So, now I'm going, is it better than Batman versus Ninja Turtles? And, I, and I'm not sure. Like, I don't want to put... Uh, kick-ass above it. I think it definitely goes in front of kick-ass for me. Um, but does it go between kick-ass and uh, Batman vs. Ninja Turtles, or does it go between Superman 2 and Batman vs. Ninja Turtles? I am thinking it goes... Because Batman vs. Ninja Turtles is a ton of fun, and uh, is pulling off exactly what it's setting out to pull off, certainly... But it's not about as much as this movie is. And they're kind of trying to do a little bit of different things, although I still say Batman vs. Ninja Turtles could have had a little bit more of a compelling story and I would have still been able to do exactly what it was doing. So I do think I'm going to put this over that movie. Uh, so this is going to go in the 56th spot. Um, oh, sorry, the 55th spot. And um, that actually seems pretty appropriate to me to have that right next to Batman vs. Ninja Turtles. So, at least for now, that's what I'm going to do. Thanks, everybody, so very much for watching and listening. If you are currently listening to this on Spotify or Anchor or any other podcast place, you can uh, check us out on YouTube for The Captain Logan Show and other uh, reviews and discussion. That's youtube.com slash geekvolution. And if you're on Geekvolution, you can uh, check us out on uh, Anchor or Spotify and listen to this series as a podcast. If you would like to support 
Nerd Geekvolution and Superhero Rewind. You can become a patron at patreon.com slash geekvolution. At just the $2 tier, you get early access to episodes of Superhero Rewind, and I am including uh, this raw, unscripted thing in that uh, you can, at the $10 tier, become a Patreon producer, and please check out Patreon to see all the other perks that you can get at other tiers, uh, request the $15 tier, and such. But uh, anyway, here are all of our Patreon producers. I want to uh, thank all of our patrons, of course, but I want to, by name, thank these folks personally right now, including Zach, Wendell Jones, Nicholas Morgan, Michael Micheletti, Michael Gulick, Kareem Roberts, Joey Whelan, Jacob Schneider, Damon Begay, CM Productions, Caleb, Brandon Mamino, The Day Ghost, Stone Gasman, Matthew Bass, Moon Wolf Jedi of Gotham, Carl Maxey, Bag Studios, John McLean, Ian McKee, Elliot Slater, Dylan Muschiello, Chewbacca's Lover, and Blake. Once again, really appreciate you guys. Thanks so very much. Leave your comments. Let me know what you think about the Lego Batman movie. And I will try to be back with you next week for another one. I'm just going to watch a movie. I'm going to talk about it. I'm going to give it a rating. And eventually, we'll be back to normal, hopefully. But thanks, everybody, for bearing with me and uh, letting me compromise and do what I can do uh, in the time allotted. I really want to uh, keep looking at these movies with you regardless of time, and uh, I'm glad that we're able to do it in some capacity. So anyway, uh, check out uh, the discussions and Captain Logan show uh, coming out soon on Geekvolution, and in the meantime, I was Captain Logan, and I'll see you again soon. Bye.